comes to share the word. Shakira, Shakira. I never really knew that she could dance like this. She make a man want to speak Spanish. Como se llama? Bonita. Picasso. Shakira, Shakira. Oh, baby, when you talk like Thanks, Taylor. That was so nice. That's just kind words. Hey, guys. Um, also, shout out to William and Maya for that awesome song. That made my year. It's better than the one I chose last year. Never forget. I hope you guys don't remember that. Um, but hey, I'm so excited to talk to you guys tonight. Um, like Taylor said, my name's Noelle. I've met, I think, most of you guys in this room. I know there's some people here that I haven't had the privilege to get to know yet. But I'm hoping that tonight we can get to know each other. And how many of you guys are having fun at camp? Yeah? Yeah? Um, is anybody sore from a belly flop? Oh, Josh Krafsky, I'm so, your abs don't protect you from that? I'm sure, I thought that they'd be like, they'd be like, like an armor bearer, you know, that kind of thing, because it's their muscles, they make you strong. Oh, wow. Hey, well, I want to just kind of dive in tonight. I'm super stoked to talk to you guys tonight. And um, for those of you guys that are note takers, the title of this message is The Promise in the Presence. The promise and the presence. I'm giving that to you now because if you're anything like me, I go nuts until I get my note title because I can't write anything else until I have the title and I have this format that I do. And when somebody, a.k.a. like Taylor or Pastor Steve, takes like 10 minutes into their message after they've given you scripture to give you the title and then my note structure is all messed up, it drives me nuts. So for all you people that are like me, I'm giving you the title now. I'm watching out for you. I want you to have the best. The a promise in the presence. Awesome. Okay, I have a question. Do we have any athletic people in this room? Where are you at? Where are you at? Okay, you guys play sports. You run. Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking to, I'm talking to the athletes. Awesome. Show of hands, okay. Michaela, okay, I know you are. Victor, wow. Lexi, I know it. I know, okay. Now I want to know, where's all my non-athletic people? Where are you? Where are you guys? Where are you? No, don't be ashamed. I'm identifying with you. Here's the deal. Okay. I am not blessed with athletic ability. I know it might come as a shock to you guys. Um, people have asked me many times, they're like, Noelle, what team are you going to be on at camp? And the reason I'm not on a team at camp, this stopped many years ago, is because I'm so bad on teams that literally when I was on teams, we started calling the team that I was on Team Suck. True story. Because our team would literally always come in last place because I'm that not athletic. It's really rough. It's rough on everybody. And I just want to say to you people out there, you non-athletes that are suffering through having to run around, you know, you're in pain, you're embarrassed by your huffing and puffing. I hear you. I see you. I know your pain. You're not alone. I was the person in high school, junior high, all of it, that would be in the back of the mile run with all the kids with like broken legs and asthma. Only I don't have broken legs or asthma. So I, I literally, that's true story. Okay, true story. When I was in, this is so bad, in like fifth grade, I, I have always, I'm not, I'm no Emily. I'm not a runner. I'm no Michaela K. I'm not a runner. Are you runners out there? I don't understand you. I respect you, but I don't understand you. I hate running with every fiber of my being, literally always have. And here's an example. When I was in fifth grade, I knew we had to run the mile run. And since I always got like an 18 minute mile and it was just horrifying, I literally remember being at recess and taking a rock, literally, and, um, <laughs> and trying to break my legs. Like, true story. I have this vivid memory of, like, sitting down with a rock and being like, okay, this is it. And taking a rock and, like, 
kind of like almost forcefully, but not that much to actually hurt myself, like hitting my legs because I thought, okay, if I break my leg, I don't have to run the mile. You know, I could have a wheelchair, you just scoot around school, mile never again. Like it was like this epiphany that I had. And then I remember actually trying to do it and then realizing, okay, this would really suck to break my leg. But that's just an example of how not athletic I am. And I just, again, I, I know that, you know, we play a lot of games at camp and we do that by design because games are so fun. But I just want you guys to know who aren't athletes. I see you. We're in this together. Yeah, we're in it together. Taylor's convinced our kids will be athletes. I don't know about that. Like, if they take after me, they're going to have a, an uphill battle. But um, that to say, even though I'm not athletic, there's one sport that I'm actually pretty good at. Um, and this is something that I discovered when I was in, like, the sixth grade. And that is that I am actually a really good rollerblader. Does anybody rollerblade? We got any bladers in the house? The blades? You can rock them blades? Okay, here's the deal. So Taylor, you guys have heard about this. He's talked many times his game of rollerblading. And I probably rollerbladed with some of you. Has, he, has any rollerbladed with anybody? There was a season where he was going to a skate park, rollerblading with people. AJ, you've seen it? So Taylor's a really good rollerblader. Like when we were in high school, he said, we met in high school. We were in a band together called Fighting for Tomorrow. My dad called us, gave up yesterday. We really sucked. Um, but Taylor would always talk about his rollerblading. He was like a skater. He like wore the real Vans. You know, everybody, I wore Vans. You know, I wore Vans just because I like them, not because they serve a purpose of skating. But he wore them because he was like a skater and they were like big and fuzzy. And he had always had blades in his back of his car and the kind of music he listened to. And like he had these jeans. Yeah, he still does just because you never know you're going to need them. He was like a real rollerblader. And his favorite movie was Brink from the Disney Channel. I know. I know. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. But I was like a closet rollerblader in that I wasn't in it for the competition. I was just in it for the joy, you know? I enjoyed a good blade. I enjoyed a good, you know, roll around the block, get my exercise in, just cruising around. It's fun, you know? And so when we were in high school, he would always talk about how he was such a good rollerblader. And I would always be like, yeah, I rollerblade too. And he would always, in Taylor competitive fashion, be like, you're not a rollerblader, you don't rollerblade. You can't ollie, or is that a rollerblading term? I don't even know. You can't do this flip, whatever. He does, all, he does the things where he like grinds and like makes videos and that kind of stuff. And he'd always put down my rollerblading skills. And so I just kind of took it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm really not a real rollerblader. I just enjoy rollerblading. I like, you know, rink life, going to the rollerblading rink. Do you guys know that Jake Hansen's a good rollerblader? Owns, his family owns a rollerblading rink. Who knew? A roller, oh, roller skating. Not trying to, yeah. But anyways, Taylor would always kind of up his rollerblading game and put mine down, and I would kind of take it. So flash forward, like, you know, 10 years later, not even that far, not like five years later, we're married, and we're talking about how we need to do something active together. Taylor and I are not, I wouldn't call us active people. We're not inactive people, but, like, our favorite thing to do is, like, eat and watch Netflix I don't even read. I just, you know, I, I'm sorry. Don't judge me. But I'm not like, we're not like Ed and Brittany that do CrossFit or like couples that run. That's not us. And so we were like, okay, we need to do something active. So Taylor was like, hey, we should go rollerblading together. And I think he was probably joking, but I was like, yeah, I'll go rollerblading with you. And we were both a little surprised. So we had this bright idea. We'd go to Alki and go rollerblading together. So the whole way there, we're driving in the car and Taylor's like telling me, okay, like, I know it's been a while since you've rollerbladed, but I just want to let you know, like, this is how you fall. 
if, you know, this happens, this is how you brake quickly. I don't know if, like, my rollerblades don't have brakes. And he's like, you need to turn this way. And just telling me all the things, like, the tips I need for rollerblading. He's like, I'm going to be a lot faster than you. So when we get there, he's like, it's hard to, like, he's like, I don't want us to, like, be in this line together, slowing people down. It's like the alley that you rollerblade down. And he's like, so I'm just going to go ahead of you. And then we can meet at this, like, ice cream shop down the road after we, like, get in our 20 minutes or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So we get there get to Alki, sit down, strap our blades on, and I'm like, okay, see you later. So we start rollerblading together, and I'm just kind of focusing on my feet, where I'm going. It's been a few years, and after a couple minutes, I, like, kind of get my pace, and I start going, and I look ahead of me, and Taylor's not ahead of me, and I'm like, crap, I really suck. Like, he's, he's that far ahead of me that I literally can't even see him, but then I heard this still small voice, you know, call it the Holy Spirit, and he was like, hey, look behind you. And I look behind me, and what do I see? Like, miles behind me is Taylor on his rollerblades, stumbling behind me. Go, I mean, he wasn't, like, falling, but he was at the slow pace. And I'm like, wait a second. All these years, schooling me, telling me how so much I suck at rollerblades. So I, I, like, turn around. No need to stop because I'm that good. I can skate backwards. I know, what I'm, I know what I'm doing. And I go, I turn around, and I go up to Taylor, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, it's my wheels. It's my bearings. They're not as fast as yours. Your rollerbladers are flat, faster than mine. And to this day, he says that his rollerblader, that he is a faster rollerblader than me, even though when we, like, even, like, like a year ago, we went to a roller skating rink with all of our youth leaders. And, Taylor, yeah, he was good. But I was better. I was fast. And I, here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. You know, I I've admittedly, I'm not athletic. Like, I admit that. If any of you guys want to play any sport against me, you will feel so good about yourself because I'm that bad. But I will own that I can rollerblade really good, and it's still up for debate between us of who's better because he's got all these skills and he can, you know, grind and what is it called? What are the things that you do? Grind. Spin. I love it. How many of you guys would like to see Taylor do that? He's, he's very good. He's very good. But in my opinion, I'm just a little better because I'm faster. And no, this story, this was a fun life experience for me because when this happened, it was funny and significant because what had been communicated to me and talked up over all these years was, a, in my opinion, a little exaggerated. Like, just a little bit exaggerated. But here's the deal. I wasn't mad about it. You know, I mean, we all exaggerate. Like, we do it every day. It's our everyday language. Like, I've said probably a million times, I was up all night. Wasn't literally up all night. I just didn't get a lot of sleep. Or I waited in line forever. And someone's not like, literally forever you waited in line? Like, no, no, no. We embellish. It's how we talk. It's just a normal part of our culture, right? We all exaggerate. And I think that sometimes what's interesting is that we listen to God and the things that God says, his word, through this lens of exaggerating. We can hear the things that God says, we can read his word for us, and we filter it not as fact and not as a literal thing, but as an exaggeration. And I want to throw out this idea and just this truth, not even an idea and a truth, that exaggerating is not part of God. It's not a characteristic of God. He doesn't embellish. He doesn't add to the story. He doesn't put in fluff words to make things sound better. 
He doesn't add to the story to make it more appealing to us. What he says is truth. It is fact. It is real. And I think sometimes what we do as Christians is we believe in God, but we don't necessarily believe God. We believe in him. We say, I'm a Christian. You know, I go to church. I, you know, X, Y, and Z, Christian of the month. But when it comes to actually believing the things that God says, believing his word, believing the truth that he speaks over our lives, we kind of take it like an exaggeration. You know, we hear scriptures like, Nothing can separate us from God's love, no death, no life, angels, demons, all that. And it's like this, like, yeah, I know that scripture, Romans. But we don't actually take it as the fact that it is. Because the reality is, is that if we actually believed God, if we truly grabbed a hold of the things that God was saying over us, over our lives, over who he is, then it would have to affect the way that we live. We would have to walk out that truth. There wouldn't be room in our lives for things like insecurity. There wouldn't be room in our lives for things like fear. There wouldn't be room in our lives for shame because we would believe with all of our hearts that God's word is what he says it is, that it is truth, and that defines us. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Psalms 138, verse 2. While you're doing that, Delaney, I see that you have a special character with you. Do you think you could return that? Or could you give that to my daughter? Oh, thank you. She's going to go ballistic without it. Delaney just found uh, Hayden's celebrity, which is Hop, a.k.a. her best friend. And she's probably having a meltdown right now. Have you guys all seen Hayden walking around in her fairy dress? She got that fairy dress on Sunday from Maya and literally hasn't taken it off. She slept in it today, and it's sweaty and... But she's rocking it, and I love her confidence. It's great. But anyways, Psalms 138, verse 2. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I will give thanks to your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness because your promises are backed by the honor of your name. I love that. Your promises are backed by the honor of your name. So good. What's the saying? That what God says, his promises, his truth, is backed by the honor of his name. What name is that? The name of Jesus. The name that's above all names. The name that defeated death. The name that defeated sin. The name that took our shame. That name is backing all of the promises of God. What are God's promises? God's promises to us are who he says he is. God's promises to us is what he has to say about us. I'll have a list here I want to pull up, and these are just some of God's promises to us, what he says about our lives. It says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. I am loved. I am, I've been redeemed. I've been healed. I'm set free from sin and enslaved to God. I have a purpose. These are God's promises to us, and so many more. And I think sometimes we glaze over these things and we let them kind of just become part of our church lingo that we get used to hearing. It's kind of like this deaf sound because we're just used to it. Where this is God's facts and his truth about us. If we started to believe this, if we put this into our hearts and made this something that we identify with that becomes our truth, it has to affect the way that we live. It has to affect the way that we see our lives. It has to affect the way that we see our future because we're filtering it through God's truth that then becomes our truth. 
that he is who he says he is, that he's the name above all names, that he's the name above sin, he's the name above death, he's the name above insecurity, he's the name above disease, the name above all of those things, and then he speaks that into us, and that truth is our truth. But sometimes it's super hard for us to walk that out. It's super hard for us to latch on to that and believe that, because the reality is, is that life can be hard. It can be challenging. You know, I'm not one to be like, the world sucks and the world, but, because I think life can be also, also be great, but the reality is, is that we go through things in our life that can throw us off. We go through circumstances, we go through situations that can bring us down, and sometimes those voices, those situations, they can begin to speak louder to us than God's word. Not that they actually speak louder, but that we give them more attention. We give the circumstance. We give the words that are spoken over us. Maybe that's something negative that we're speaking into ourselves. Maybe it's something that somebody said to us. Maybe it's something that we're walking through. But we give those things more attention that they deserve. And then instead of focusing on what God says about us, instead of focusing on his word, his truth for us, our attention goes to something else. Um, Would any of you guys consider yourselves animal lovers? Or my animal lovers out? I definitely would consider myself an animal lover. I, have you you guys met my dog Gibby? Maybe follow him on Instagram. Gibby. I love it when people love Gibby. Like I love it. it, I love them even more when I see them love Gibby. True thing, when I was pregnant with Hayden, I literally was worried that I wouldn't love her as much as I love Gibby. I, that's a real thing. I would say that and people would laugh, but it was a real truth I had. It was something I had to deal with in my heart. I love her more than Gibby. But I just love Gibby that much. I'm a full-on animal lover, but here's the deal. There are three animals that I literally hate. Number one, possums. Disgusting. I don't care what you say. I'm sure that they have some kind of endearing quality to them that makes them good. But, I, yeah, thank you. I don't even want to Google it because I don't want to see a picture of a possum because I think they're that gross. Number two is any kind of ape. I don't know what it is. I know, yeah, not monkeys, apes, they're hating. One of her favorite movies is this movie called Sing, and it took me about a year to watch it because of the fact that one of the main characters is a chimpanzee in a leather jacket, and I just, I, I grew, whatever, I can't handle it. I can't handle apes. Drives Taylor crazy because there's movies like Planet of the Apes that are probably good movies, but I won't watch them because I hate apes that much. Um, but number three, the third animal that I hate, I hope you guys are taking notes because these animals are very important, um, but I hate birds. I know. Do we have any bird haters? Where are my bird haters at? There's just something about a bird. I can recollect several instances in my life where I was scarred emotionally by a bird. When I was in the sixth grade, I remember being on a field trip and a seagull pooped on my shirt. It was humiliating, and I had to walk around all day long with this big blob of poop on my shirt at the beach. It was nasty. But I think it really traces back to when I was 17. I remember being in my car, parked at the Green River parking, parking lot, and I'm just sitting in there, I know, between classes, minding my own business, probably reading my Bible, you know, and all of a sudden, like 10 crows land on my car. I don't know what it was, but they literally just land, thank you for your bird hat, I appreciate you, the humor is awesome, you're great, um, but they literally just landed on my car and chose to make that their resting place. 
like these 10 nasty crows. I'm just sitting there like shaking, trying to get them off my car. I like was honking. I did my windshield wipers. They just planted themselves on my car for whatever reason. I think maybe someone put food on my car, but it literally scarred me for life. And I don't even remember how I got out of it. I just remember being horrified. And now I still to this day, I hate birds. But there's one bird that I'll kind of tolerate, and that's ducks. Ducks are pretty cute. Right, yeah, they're cute. If you see like a, a duck walking around, there's an endearing quality to ducks that you just kind of, if you don't like ducks, it's like, hey, what's wrong with you? Unless you've been bit by a duck. That's weird. But um, what's interesting about ducks is that they actually have um, a few endearing qualities. One of them is that they mate for life. Some species of them, isn't that sweet? You know, husband and wife duck walking around like penguins. Cute. Um, but another thing about them is that they have a protective instinct. And um, I read this story about ducks, and this took place in California. It was right after a forest fire. And it was a story of a firefighter, and it was saying how he um, was walking through the forest really freshly after this fire and kind of surveying the damage, just kind of walking around in his gear, kind of checking things out, putting out little bushfires here and there. And as he was walking, he saw this charred, dead duck. And he was like, oh, that's weird, because usually in a forest fire, the kind of animals that are the victims to that aren't birds, because birds can fly away. Like, it's usually some kind of, like a possum. You know, they die in the forest. Of course, I know, right? Um, but birds don't. And so it was just kind of like, oh, that's weird. So he's looking at this duck, and then all of a sudden, he notices that this duck kind of, there's like some movement in it. And he's like, that's freaky. So he walks up to the duck, and he just kind of nudges it a little bit with his boot, and all of a sudden, these four little ducklings come running out from it. And what it was is that this was a mother duck who had sacrificed herself in the forest fire to protect her baby ducks. And that's a thing that they do. That she could have flown away and she could have, you know, saved herself. But because of the protective instinct of this duck, she stayed and let her little ducklings you know, take cover under her wings. And the Bible uses this imagery several times in relation to God's covering over us. We're going to pull up on the screen Psalms 91.4. And it says, he will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. I love this Im imagery that the Bible's using of us being under the covering of God's wing. It's mentioned multiple times in scriptures, under his feathers, under his wings, and it's referring to this part of nature where a parental bird will shield their young from danger. And what the scripture's saying is that God's promises to us are our shield. His promises are what we just read. His promises are what he says about you. His promises are what he says about your life. It says in Psalms 139 that God has so many thoughts about you that are so great that they outnumber the grains of sand. You know, it says all over the Bible how much he loves us, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, how he has a plan and a purpose for our lives how he's died on the cross for our sin, how he's taken our shame, how we're not a slave to sin. These are God's promises. And just like we read earlier, those promises 
are backed by the honor of his name. We need those promises. We need to find shelter and refuge in those promises. Because sometimes life can kind of feel like a forest fire. It can feel consuming and unfair and heavy. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a fire before, but when you're in a fire, you can't see the other side. It's, it's consuming you. Forest fires, there's, when they're spreading, you know, I think sometimes we see, you know, we'll see things about forest fires, and because none of us, that's in our narrative, we don't live in, you know, the desert, um, we don't realize how scary that can be, watching this thing come and just overpower that you can't get rid of. And I think sometimes life can feel like that. The things that we go through, the things that were, are spoken over us, the words that people say to us that we latch onto that don't line up with what God says, but that have a different narrative that we listen to, it can be consuming. Sometimes the circumstances that we walk through can make us feel like we can't get to the other side. But what the scripture is saying is that God's promises to us, they are our armor and our protection. When we're battling with hating ourselves, when we're battling with insecurity, self, self-esteem, and looking and feeling so lost in that, we remember what the Bible says, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're God's masterpiece, that we're the apple of his eye, that he knew us before we were born, that he knit us together. That's our promise. That's our truth. When we're feeling held down by sin, when we're feeling overtaken by shame, we remember that he who the sun sets free is free indeed, that we're not a slave to sin, that nothing can separate us from God's love. That's our promise. That's what we hold on to. That becomes our shield. That becomes our protection when those flames hit us, when those flames start to overpower us, when we're lying on our beds at night and flooded with thoughts of fear, thoughts of anxiety, we remember that God is our peace, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and that because God is who he says he is, we are who, we, who he says that we are. That's our promise. So how do we live that out? We have to have faith. It's so simple. Hebrews 11.6 says, so you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The part that I want you guys, if you've opened your Bibles to that or if you're writing that down, Hebrews 11.6, to kind of park on is where it says, they must believe in him, but also that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God doesn't want us to just believe that he exists. He doesn't want us to just believe that there's God, you know, and I love God. I go to church, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord, he saved me. But he wants us to believe in his promises for us. What it says here, it says that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Let me tell you that there is a benefit when you believe God. And that's what he wants you to have in your life. He doesn't want you to walk around in sin. He doesn't want you to walk around in shame. He doesn't want you to walk, out, walk around in insecurity and depression. He wants to set you free from that because he did. That's what he did when he sent his son to die on the cross, to die for our shame, to die for our sin. He took that burden so that we didn't have to have it. But in order for us to walk in that, we have to actually believe it and let that become our narrative. This scripture, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about Jesus is talking to disciples and he says, 
All you have to have is faith like a mustard seed, and you can move a mountain. You know, I've grown up in the church. I've grown up going to camps and all that. And I've heard many talks about faith, you know, faith that moves a mountain. And I've always attributed to faith as being faith for the big things. You know, faith for I believe in God or faith for, like, I need this massive mountain that's in front of me like this. My dad doesn't have a job and we're struggling with our bills. That's my mountain and I'm going to believe for that. You know, and that is a mountain for sure. You know, or faith being, believing for something huge like some massive healing or something like that. But mountains in our life can literally be anything that is getting in the way of our relationship with God and being able to move forward and walk towards him and walk the way that he's called us to walk. You know, some of us are so used to the mountains in our life that we don't even see them anymore. Mountains like insecurity. Mountains like fear. Mountains like anxiety. Mountains like self-hate. Mountains like depression. They become things that we stand in front of, and instead of seeing them like the mountain that they are, that's blocking us from walking in the freedom that God's called us to walk in, we just see them as part of our lives. It's something that we're living with. Where what God would say to that is that his promises are backed by the honor of his name, and those promises say that if you have the faith to believe that God is who he says he is, and you are who he says you are, that you can say to that mountain that you've been standing in front of for 10 years and don't know how to see over, hey, get out of the way, and he's gonna make a way for that. That when you're standing in front of the mountain of anxiety and you don't know how to walk around without feeling fear and without feeling overwhelmed and you feel like this is something that you're going to have forever, God's able to say, hey, I have a plan for you. I want to speak to that. I want to give you wisdom for that. I want to help you move that mountain. That when you don't know how to walk around not in fear, not in worrying about your future, that God's able to say, hey, my promise for you is that I have a future and a hope for you, that I know the plans I have for you. I'm directing your steps. That's God's promise. And what we need to do as people here today, as young people, is speak to those mountains in our lives and believe that God is who he says he is and that he is going to move those mountains. But we have to believe. I want to invite the band to come up. Um, I think tonight... What's really just been on my heart for our group as I've been preparing this message and thinking about it and kind of just letting it kind of sit in my heart is I just know that there are people here tonight that you've been burned. That, you know, we talked about a forest fire and feeling like how life can feel consuming and like you can't see the other side of something. And I really believe tonight that there are people here that you've been burned, but specifically, you've had things spoken over you that are contrary to what God wants to say to you. That the narrative that you've been writing about your life, your future, the way you see yourself, your family, that it's contrary to what God sees for you. I believe that there's people here tonight that you've been speaking it into yourself. That it's not necessarily somebody else speaking something to you, but that you've been rehearsing a narrative in your mind. 
that isn't God's narrative for you. I wanna invite you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. God's promise for us is so great. God's promise for us is not only a promise, but it's truth. It's the word of God. It's what the creator of the universe, the God who made you, who made me, who made the world that we live in, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, that God is the God who's saying to you, hey, dude, I think you're awesome. Hey, girl, I love everything about you. I love the way you look. I know every hair on your head. I know that quirky part of your personality that you don't think is the best thing about you, but I love it about you. I know what family you're in. I know what you're going through at home. I know when you felt alone. I know when you felt rejected. I know when you've seen your parents give in many ways, but not to you. But I was with you. I think sometimes it's easier to focus on the other voices whether it's the voices of circumstances we've walked through, the voices of people that have spoken things into us, and even our own voices that rehearse things, that tell us that we're not good enough, that tell us that we're never gonna make it, that tell us that we can't have the things that are in our heart, tell us that no one likes us. It's easier to listen to those voices than it is the voice of God. Proverbs 18:21 says, the tongue has the power of death and life. I think there's people here tonight that have had some death words spoken into them, that have had some death words rehearsing and playing through their minds. But I wanna tell you that tonight that God wants to speak life into that darkness, that God wants to bring beauty for ashes, that God wants to come into the darkest place of who you are, the part that you're holding on to, the part that you don't wanna give to him and shine his light on it like Taylor talked about earlier. It just needs a little bit. The scripture that I talked about earlier says that if you just have a little bit of faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. What would happen tonight if you spoke to the mountain in your life? If you spoke to the thing that's been standing in front of you, holding you back from moving forward in who God has called you to be? I believe that tonight, God wants to take some of you under his wings. He wants to bring you under his covering. He wants to speak his promises over you. Be your shield and your protector. So I want to pray. There's two people I want to pray for tonight. The first is just people that have been burned. People that have felt like your life has been a forest fire. Maybe you've been burned by other people. Maybe you've been burned by yourself. Things that you've said, things that you've rehearsed in your mind, things that you've done, circumstances that you've walked through. But if you've been burned tonight, God wants to heal that. And the other group of people that I wanna work, I wanna pray for, are people that need faith. I think sometimes one of the hardest parts to saying yes to God is saying yes to what he says about us is saying yes to who he says we are, is saying yes to actually having the audacity to believe 
that we are as awesome as he says we are, that we are as loved and as cherished and as beautiful and as purposed, as masterfully created as he says we are. That takes boldness. That takes faith. That takes every day believing that. So if that's you tonight, I want to invite you to come to this altar and just kneel here before God. You can come now. And we're going to just have some time with the Lord here for a minute, and then we're going to pray. But if that's you, if you've been burned, if you want God to speak some words of life into you, if you need faith tonight, if you want to have faith that moves the mountains in your life, if you want to walk forward and move forward in life, knowing who you are in Christ, believing what he says about you, believing that you are who he says that you are, that he is who he says that he is. I want to pray with you tonight. We have our leaders come forward.